0: When we develop empathy as a skill, as a leader or anyone, we become more powerful, right? We, 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 we unlock people's performance, we unlock people's potential, we make people feel valued, cared for, connected, linked together, build teams. Empathy is kind of like so important, right? Uh, and it's a skill that anybody can learn.
1: Of the change where we share stories and inspiration from servant leaders working to normalize the mental health conversation and increase empathy in the workplace. I'm your host, Adam Baru. Mindset, the key to unlocking our potential. Our ability to perform at our best and achieve powerful results all comes from the ability to maintain a positive and focused mindset. I can tell you personally how difficult it can be to maintain a positive mindset. In the past year, I feel I finally unblocked my ability to maintain perspective and mindset, but this took a tremendous amount of work. And keeping a focused perspective still requires constant work. Much like maintaining the body requires we exercise regularly, keeping the right mindset for performance works the same way. Here to speak with us today about mindset and the ability to perform at a high level is Lee Evans, a high performance coach based in the UK. Hey Lee, welcome to the change.
0: Thank you. Adam, what a wonderful intro. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Um, appreciate you being here. Um, well, let's start with this, and the audience is not going to be able to see um, what I see here since we just um, capture audio, but you've, you're wearing a shirt today that says something positive. Tell us a little bit about that shirt and that statement. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no worries. I think it, I love the shirt, and I bought it this weekend, actually. I saw it in a in a shop, and I was like... that's the T-shirt for me, you know, because Mm -hmm. ultimately I think we should try to be, feel, do something positive, right? Be something positive, do something positive, feel something positive every day. And if you have that as a goal, kind of winning, right?
1: yeah I mean, you know it's something we all strive for i mean i I haven't met a single person that wants to stay negative or be negative right it's it's just oh. you know some people get kind of like locked into this way of thinking or you know they have these neural pathways developed where you know when stuff's kind of when life is throwing us a curveball, it's like that automatic response to just oh, like I'm a victim, like you know you want yeah. you want to kind of reject it, but you know just it's hard work maintaining a positive mindset T- tell us a little bit about you know like the work behind it
0: yeah i think i think it's hard work if you've developed a negative mindset it's even more hard work then right because mm. you know ultimately if we go right back to the start nobody's really born with a negative mindset we're all born with a growth mindset right we're all born <laughs> imagine with we
1: work. come out of the womb we're like ah it's raining today
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly especially in the uk where i am right we'd be we'd be knackered. But no, well you know so understand what i mean if we go back to the start this is learned behavior right so i understand what you're saying it's hard work but it's hard work if we've developed this negative mindset which comes from our learning right and usually the opinions of others authority figures experiences in our lives etc etc which develops this belief system this script this identity that we see ourselves as i agree then it's hard work if if you and most people, let's be honest, have got into that space at some point in their life. It's difficult not to you know these days with social media, how it is with mm-hmm. kind of the news feeding everybody with all of the tragedy and and you know the really um vivid images that excite the imagination in a negative way, all of those things so nobody's blaming anyone here right but uh I think to to develop you know our job really is to uh, once you develop a positive mindset, which comes in a number of practices, really, and by surrounding yourself with certain people and you're using certain tools. So there's kind of like a, a plan to this. Once you do that, that can gather its own momentum in the same way that a negative spiral can gather its
1: momentum, you know? Right. I mean, it's like the way that I'm looking at it is, even if, you know, you want to go back to, and relate it to working out, you know, for physical health you know when if you haven't worked out um you know when you start doing it it it, it sucks it doesn't feel good you want to yeah. die I mean, there's it's like hard, a feeling right? of like run away but yeah. over time the more you stick with it your body gets used to it you develop eventually a runner's high if if running's your thing and and yeah. that feels tremendous and i've i've experienced that a lot and i have to think that you know kind of working out our mental muscles the same way like yeah, yeah it may if we're used to living in this negative mindset, it's going to be, it's going to be hard and a challenge. Your perspective's just not there yet. Right. But the more you do it, the more you kind of stay on top of it and maintain it. And, you know, for me, I think the key is self-awareness. I think for me, everything around mindset, what it, what has unlocked, um, my ability to, to at least more maintain a a healthier mindset is the self-awareness where I can kind of catch myself if I'm, If I'm feeling like I'm, you know, may my mind may be going towards the negative. I just can catch myself and like, okay, let's take a step back, maybe take a walk or you know.
0: Yeah. And you're just talking about some of the examples then of how we develop a positive mindset, you know. So awareness doesn't happen on its own. It's comes from practicing reflection, practicing asking questions, practicing checking in with myself. How am I being? Mm -hmm. You know, how am I feeling? The reflection develops awareness, right? Um, and awareness then allows you to see clearly what you are or are not doing. And and uh, the other thing you talked about is is with the gym, for instance, is conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. So we're conditioning a muscle or we're conditioning a mind. And to and mindset, if you break it apart, is the practice of setting the mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when you do that, you condition your mind, right? Absolutely.
1: All right. So, so let's do this. Um, and I do this with everybody. I'd like to start with your childhood. Um, you know, as we, as we get going here in the interview today, because you know, in particular for you, I I know that you, your childhood came from a, a very painful beginning. I mean, you publicly explain on your website, how your father left before you were born and that your, your mother dealt with some, you know, painful mental illness. So you know, would you mind taking us back to the circumstances you faced growing up and, and then how these led to the work that you do today as a high-performance coach?
0: Yeah, so as a child, I didn't really know any different. I don't think, you know, any, nobody does, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my father left before I was born. My mom, I have memories of her when I was very young, which were happy and positive. And then as we kind of got uh, later on into her having my old my younger brother and younger sister, she started to develop kind of depression, postnatal depression, those kinds of things. So uh, ultimately she took her own life when I was 15 mm. and my kind of younger siblings were 10 and 12 years younger than me. Uh, and that really is a shaping moment in my life. You know, there are shaping, mm. sensitizing events that happen in people's lives. Yeah. Um, that was one of them. Um, and I think, you know, from there, these events, there is post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth you know and I very much take that as a to drive me now it drives my my mission my purpose my legacy all of that it comes from that moment really Um, I didn't really know what to do so I joined the British Army uh, as a kind of young 16 year old with Mm. no real prospects no real confidence no real kind of (laughs) anything apart from hope right and um, so I joined the Army uh, and that, yeah, that kind of changed my life. You know, I, I was there for 24 years, became a commando, went through the kind of high performing teams, served in conflict around the world a number of times. Uh, but there's where I really learned the power of relationships
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and how those things bond people together and how that makes us happy, how it makes us healthy, how it makes us perform better. I also learned the power of values. Because it's a values-driven organization. It means the values are baked into the processes in the organization. You get promoted based on values, you get disciplined based on values. Everything is based on values. Mm-hmm. And that means it's more effective because it's based on these values. The, the reason it's based on values, because of it makes the organization more effective. And and we need to be effective because somebody might die if we get it wrong, right? Yeah. Um so yeah, my military life kind of entered me into coaching then. About halfway through it, I was in the military diving school coaching uh, all the military divers, or, or teaching rather, teaching diving in, in the military. And they brought a coaching culture in. They wanted to to increase performance. People weren't performing well because of pressure and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my real gateway into uh, coaching and the power of development and the power of the mind, which I then became fascinated with. This is about in 2009 or so, so 13, 14, nearly 15 years ago. And that's when my journey really started into the mind, coaching, development. And it took me into a number of different things, which have led to today, including therapy and as in me being a therapist uh, for 10 years while still being in the military. Mm-hmm. But also took me into me testing my own mind. I wanted to understand what is this power of the mind that people are talking about. And I tested it by having pain free surgery a number of times with no anesthetic. Mm. You know, I was kind of like, if this is going to be what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, which feels really great, I need to know, not guess, you know? So I was like, right. okay, well, let's do the test. And um, <laughs> once i had done that, a new level of Possibility belief opened up inside my mind, uh, which I then have been chasing for 15 years, and and seeking more clarity in how do I make an impact? How do I make a positive impact? How do I unlock change faster, quicker, with more people? How do I do that? That's been really my focus for 15 years.
1: Yeah. So um, I have a couple of questions, and I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind again and, and kind of go back your childhood um I mean do you remember you know as a young man witnessing your mom's mental health struggles like um I mean you kind of mentioned before it seems normal to you just because you didn't really you know you didn't grow up any other way like what, what do you recall in terms of you know how you were perceiving the stuff that your mom was going through
0: yeah it's really interesting to me how the mind works and I think what happened to me is that the thing I was experiencing was so painful that my mind protected me from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my memories are, you know, there are some vague memories of um, erratic behavior. So for instance, uh, sometimes my mum would come home on the weekend from the hospital that she was staying in. And I remember walking in once uh, to the front room and, the, the people who you know collect the garbage, the bins, mm-hmm. they were in the front room with my, my mother, kind of having a chat, you know, in all their kind of bin man uniform, and there was, you know, didn't know who they were. It was totally erratic behaviour. I remember that, for instance, um, it was later on, but it was very clouded. It still is. And I've done a lot of work on my mind and, and re- recalling memory and all of that, but I believe that my mind closed the thing off to me in terms of emotional pain. Yeah. So, uh, although I had therapy years later as part of my own therapy training, I think I don't, you know, I, I just know that it's planted something inside of me that drives me every day and I have great memories of her from earlier in our life, Good. but I think the mind has the ability to do that, to close off pain that is so bad that somebody can use it or function or, or go forward, you know?
1: I, I totally agree with that um, so the other and you just were touching on it but the other the other question I wanted to ask you know it just seems like in this day and age you know therapy and counseling is is becoming you know more widely recognized as okay and acceptable whereas you know even probably fifteen years ago um I, there was a lot of stigma around it uh, and so you know did you had you received any counseling or therapy you know after your mom? Um, had yeah. you committed suicide?
0: No, not immediately. Um, no, I mean, my default reaction to that was uh, to leave school, uh, look after my younger brother and sister who, uh, you know, 10, 12 years younger than me. So they were kind of like two years old and four years old ish. So I left school, you know, kind of didn't do any of my exams or anything like that. And my dad went out to work to keep us kind of functioning and, I became the the parent figure for, with my dad to kind of bring my brother and sister up. And then I kind of joined the army and, and went. I didn't have any counselling or anything then. Mm-hmm. Although later on in my life, when I became fascinated with all of this, part of my own therapeutic training was to have therapy. And that came out there, you know, very powerfully. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Okay. So you touched on belief systems before. And so I kind of want to shift in the, in the direction of, of talking more about that. And I'm going to, I'm going to read a quote that I read on your website. Yeah, You are not your problem. What you have come to believe about yourself is likely to be the main part of the struggle and frustration you feel now. And, you know, other people that I've spoken to here on the change talk a lot about this, about belief systems and about this, you know, in particular, this victim mentality that can be prevalent, you know, when you don't have the right mindset where, you know, things are happening to you and not for you. So talk to us a little bit about belief systems and, you know, in your own life, how you've recognized where your belief systems lie and perhaps, you know, where you may have changed them.
0: Yeah, okay, and, and it's such an important topic and such a huge topic, um, but to start with, you know, beliefs are your psychic reality, that's what they are, right, they're not necessarily real, they are real in your mind, right, mm-hmm. so they are your psychic reality, Is how you experience what life, uh, what you think about yourself, how you identify yourself, uh, your yeah. self-image is wrapped up in all of this, right. Uh, beliefs are also largely subconscious, i.e. not in conscious awareness. So, you know, we think with our conscious minds, but we don't generally have a belief system there. That's kind of... Mm-hmm. The,
1: the
0: beliefs come out in the way you feel. So we, we have these beliefs. They are learned. They, uh, like we talked about right at the start, you know, <laughs> nobody comes out with this kind of fixed negative mindset they come out with let me out the world let me learn to walk let me learn to run let me learn to talk and speak and jump and dance and all of those things and not care what anybody thinks about me because nobody cares because the child doesn't care if he falls over they don't care what you think right Mm -hmm. but we then learn because of societal rules and expectations and uh, and also attributions people might give to you you know Uh, we learn to build these Beliefs about, we build these beliefs about ourselves that are learning. These beliefs at some stage in your life generally become fixed ish, you know, like 13, 14 years old, something like that is the generally accepted idea where your identity is kind of shaped okay. and fixed and formed. Not that, you know, we know people can change. Of course they can. Though. I wouldn't be doing what I do if they couldn't. But, mm-hmm. um, so the beliefs are there and we don't really know they're there. and our indication of a belief operating is our feelings, right? So if we don't feel good enough in some way and uh, we feel like other people are better than us, when I am then in the situation with somebody that I perceive to be better than me, I will feel that. I will feel Mm -hmm. like I want to avoid. I will feel like I want to uh, not contribute, not engage, run away, all that kind of stuff. Because... I'm perceiving a danger. Yeah. Right? And I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. So the belief leads to the feelings. The feelings drive most people's behavior. Right? Most people are... Right. ...driven by the way they feel. It's like, if I feel like going for a run today, I will go for a run. If I don't feel like going for a run, I won't go for a run. Yeah. Or if you upset me, you make me feel sad, I will lash out, cry. You know? So we are our actions are driven by our feelings. So there's a whole... System operating here that starts with the beliefs. Yeah. It leads to the way we feel, it drives the way we act, and then ultimately that system is who we become.
1: Yeah.
0: We become that person, right? And we reinforce the system the, the belief again. So if I believe something about myself that you know you're better than me or whatever it might be, I feel this thing, I my action is to avoid, I feel safety because it's not there anymore the danger and now I kind of reinforce that belief that that was a good thing I run away from that person right and it keeps Mm -hmm. feeding itself and it's only through penetrating into that belief system it's only through things like targeted reflection things like internal and external questioning that can lead to realizations insights like awareness like you talked about it's like oh (laughs) I didn't realize I was doing this, being like this every time or whatever it might be, you know, so there's a whole complex
1: system going on here, but it's a story exactly, it's a narrative right? it's a narrative, exactly, yeah. and you know and I'll share, you know, for me you know, some of what I've learned in the last couple of years um, and a lot of what you said just you know, touches on this, right, so I had, I had you know, some specific traumatic events from my childhood, and I mean, this happened when I was six years old you know, like what you were saying before, the mind kind of does, you know, a lot of magic to kind of protect ourselves. Right. And so I think what happened was for me at six years old, I had built this belief system. It wasn't intentional. I didn't think this, it just manifested that, you know, I, I was the cause for the trauma, that it was my fault that I instigated, you know, what happened. I had literally lived, you know, I'm almost 50 now. I literally When almost my whole life with that belief system and, you know, wrapped in that was a lot of negative self-talk as an adult, um, a lot of insecurity, anxiety. And it wasn't until I started working with my coach, Kristen, you know, where just like almost out of the gates working with her. And this was completely it unintentional, just unexpected, took me by surprise. You know, we had a conversation one day and we were just talking about shame versus guilt. And I, I kind of didn't really know the difference between the two. And I said, well, you know, can you explain, you know, what the differences are there? And, and she had just mentioned how shame is something that a belief systems get built around, like identity attributes get built around. And, you know, that conversation kind of, it's like, kind of stuck with me. I didn't, you know, we were kind of wrapping up our session, so I didn't really think a whole lot into it until kind of like later that night. The house is quiet. Everybody's asleep. I'm kind of finishing watching a television show. turn the show off, and I was just kind of sitting there. It's, I think it's like midnight, and that conversation kind of re-entered my brain. I was like, huh, shame and guilt. Like, do I, is, do I feel shameful for anything? I hadn't thought that I did, but then all of a sudden, I mean, it was literally like the parting of the sea. Like, yeah. I mean, the way that I look back at this is like my higher self was finally saying, you know what? He's ready for this information now. And I finally recognized, you know what? Going back to that traumatic event when I was six years old, I was a victim. It's clear as day now that I was a victim. How could I be a perpetrator at six years old? Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, and then it was just like, Literally at that moment, I recognized how I had built this belief system that I mean, as powerful I th- and and truthful in my cells of my body, how I felt that, I realized now that the sham that all was. I was a victim. Yeah. And so that that was the thing, that was the catalyst that kind of, you know, helped me to to grow and heal. And yeah, it's just, you know, belief systems can be very, very powerful. And I think a lot of us walk through the, this world thinking a certain way. Another thing you touched on, which I think was really powerful, is we think sometimes we build these belief systems that we are our emotions. Yeah, Like I lived with a lot of, you know, feeling like, you know, I was to blame. Like I I'm not a good person because I, you know, perpetrated this event um and so it made me you know i was angry a a lot of the time and and then it you know i built this belief system that oh i'm just an angry person no yes i'm angry because i have this unresolved trauma that you know and and belief systems um and and that's where my anger is from i'm not an angry person and (laughs) i feel much you know
0: exactly and that's that's the problem is we we identify as you know, a we're not our thoughts. B we're not our feelings. You know, we're we're not any of those things. We are the awareness that is that we could go into something more spiritual, deeper kind of thinking here. But we are the point of awareness that is able to be aware of our thoughts, is able to be aware of our feelings, and is able to choose our thoughts and choose our feelings and build beliefs and and all of that stuff. And the thing that you, I'm really glad that you had that moment and. What I what I would like to just point out there is, you've just proved a truth which most people don't believe. Most people believe the change takes a long time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Change doesn't take a long time. Getting to the awareness usually takes a long time if anyone ever gets there because yeah, they don't do the work to try to get to the. They don't get the coach like you did. They don't get the perspective. They they just think that's who they are, right? Yeah. So change doesn't take a long time at all. When somebody starts to engage in meaningful change with the right people, the right practices and the right support change happens really quickly Yeah, and sustainably as well. You know,
1: I totally agree with that. Well, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about the, your coaching. Um, you do, um, you know, growth, community coaching, team growth, coaching and, and individual um, coaching. So, let's start with the the growth community so w- what is this and um you know what does community coaching involve
0: yeah the, the community lights me up it is like it's my legacy this is uh, a collection of people from around the world who it came from me trying to solve a problem from group coaching i was doing with military groups and, and mm-hmm. civilian groups i was coaching them and after a period of time it's like you know coaching is an intervention right You do something different when you're with a coach because they are asking you questions. They're holding you accountable. They're challenging you in different ways. They're offering you new perspectives, etc. When you're doing that yourself, you're gaining that awareness. You're acting on it, and there's momentum. And then when the coaching stops, usually what happens is the momentum stops because Mm -hmm. you don't keep doing the same things in the same way, right? So people were coming to me and going, Oh, I need a top up in a group or can we do a refresh or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, okay, how do I solve this problem? And I solved the problem by creating a community of people who want to make high performance and growth a way of life for them. So it came from people who have been through some form of coaching with me before or therapy. Even when I was a therapist, they were one of my mm-hmm. clients or something. And I basically said, okay, there's the answer, the, how we keep this building as a way of life, right? We build a community, people who actually uh, – so, so I coach the community daily okay. in terms of audios. So I have, there's an app, people are inside this community. Uh, yeah, the daily audios where I just – five minutes, just talk about a topic, give a framework, just to reset, refocus people's minds daily. So they're feeding their mind daily with positive ideas and, and growth. Mm-hmm. And then there's weekly check-ins we do. So every Friday we get together, whoever comes on, we kind of get into breakouts. We share, we share wins, challenges, support each other, just like 40 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Then there's monthly coaching, which are 90 minute full sessions, which follow a whole curriculum of high performance coaching, mm-hmm. which is 48 sessions long. So monthly takes, you know, four years. We're going through this journey and in the initial phase. Okay. Um, and then there's a huge amount of other things in there, like resources, live breath work sessions every day. Mm -hmm. So it's basically how we do this together. We're on a journey together, you know, I love that. Yes. It's, so it's, it's kind of, it just literally lights me up every day. You know, it's what, it's what I'm going to look back on and go happy days.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I (laughs) love that so much. Um, what I read about the five, five, five club. What, what is that?
0: Yeah. So the five, five, five club is incorporated into the community. Uh, it's a guy called Sean Doherty who, He's uh, from Northern Ireland. He survived cancer Mm. by basically using his breath, right, and kind of really going very seriously into healing himself and doing everything he could, setting the conditions so they were as in his favor as possible, and a huge amount of that came from the breath. So he runs the 555 Club, which is five minutes of breath work, five minutes of meditation, meditation, five minutes of gratitude practice Mm. and we do it five well there are five opportunities a day to do that and it's a zoom link you join sean's there and it's a kind of amazing way to build a habit around being very calm being very present being very focused and feeling grateful for your life and connecting with the moment with other people with the breath with important things and doing that as a habit you know so there's that's what the 555 Club is. And it's kind of, it's a really important game-changing resource that comes as part of the community, basically.
1: Yeah, and I love the, the gratitude practice there. And, and you know, it's a practice. And, uh, you know, much like when our, mo- like we build these neural pathways where our minds just kind of resort back to maybe some negative ways of thinking. I mean, you know, practicing gratitude is, is work. And, you know, when you keep up with it over time, um you'll you'll redevelop your neural pathways and and whereas perhaps you know when and i mentioned this before like life throws you another curveball whereas you know perhaps you may have gone negative with that before when you have a life dedicated to gratitude um i mean it is so that that's the fundamental building block of mindset as far as i'm concerned because you know, you're just developing these new pathways that will just go to gratitude and grow, go to appreciation.
0: Great. Gratitude makes you more resilient. It makes you more positive, makes you healthier. It's so powerful. And I would kind of agree with you. It's a practice, but you can get really good at that practice, right? You can get amazing at any practice that you practice really well at. You can get really good at it. So then it brings deeper levels of Feeling to you because the key with gratitude is to feel grateful, not just think. Oh, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for this. Right? And you just say it and you take a box, and doesn't feel nothing changes in your yeah. feeling body. That's not practicing gratitude. That's talking about something and feeling something different. We've got to feel grateful as a habit. You know, first thing in the morning is what I do. In the five, four, five practice, it's what I do in the evening. It's what I do. Practice. You know. So it's. That's a way of developing the mindset, and I would agree with you that gratitude is one of the most important aspects of mindset. But I would also add to it kindness, mm. especially to yourself. Yes, is probably the most important skill that anybody can learn, and most people probably don't learn because there's the inner critic, they're beating themselves up, and they're not very good at being kind to themselves. So, but if they could learn that skill, which they can, they they basically unravel all of that story that they've built up. It doesn't take a huge amount of time either, you know?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the things that when I started working with Kristen that um, she had me practice quite a bit is um, a, a method, I believe it was created by Tara Brock, which is the RAIN method. And I've spoken about it on this podcast before, you know, RAIN being an acronym for recognize, allow, investigate, and then nurture. And that nurture part of rain was, was the key for me. again, like having lived this life of negative self-talk thinking that I, you know, was to blame for this event that happened in my childhood. It was foreign to me to nurture myself and be kind to myself. It, it, that, that in particular took work, but I kept at it. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful, um, for, you know, for, for most of the circumstances in my life. I mean, even the negative ones, because I think it, it shaped who I am today. And so I, I want to ask, um, you know, since we're talking about gratitude, what, what do you feel most grateful for in, in your life, Lee?
0: I, I feel grateful for so many things very frequently, you know, I practice it. So I will feel grateful for my life, this moment, right? Me and you being able to connect here, we're mm-hmm. across the world, I was super grateful it feels amazing right I'm like wow what an amazing thing we can do so I'm grateful for my life I'm grateful for the breath I have you know that I can literally stop and I can release tension I can feel good I'm grateful for breath I'm grateful for life I'm grateful for my wife you know I'm grateful for my children Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for my opportunities to make a difference I'm grateful for this podcast so somebody might listen to it and feel inspired you know, that somebody might change, which is obviously the whole name of your podcast and what we're searching for. Uh, you know, but I also, if I, if I kind of bring it back to a specific practice, I ask myself, morning and night, what scene are you grateful for from the last 24 hours? Mm. Right. And that allows you to connect with something real, something meaningful, something you can literally touch and feel that is new and has novelty to it, which is important because some people if they do a gratitude practice. They get bored with it because they keep saying the same thing all the time. And they're like, Oh, I keep saying the same thing. I'm like, okay, so what are you grateful for from today? And they're like, Oh, well, I'm grateful for that hug and the kiss that I had with my daughter this morning. That was amazing. Now you feel it. Right. And I'm like, yeah. okay, now we're working. Now we're working is, is yeah. So I'm grateful for so much.
1: Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So can you describe one of your favorite success stories um, or experiences you've had as a coach?
0: Wow. That's a really great question. Uh, (laughs) my favorites. I mean, there's a guy I'm working with at the moment I could use, uh, as a one. uh, There's so much my mind is now literally buzzing with loads of different things. (laughs) The first one I would say, so let me tell you about a community. Let me tell you about a one-to-one one-to-one guy who six months ago uh, was the example of what you were talking about earlier where you were, right? He beat mm-hmm. himself up a lot, very negative, very successful professionally, but felt like a failure as a father, felt like a failure as a husband, felt like a failure in all aspects, right? Mm. But on the outside, you know, lots of money, lots of success in this area and all of that stuff. And he has literally... Change his whole identity within six months mm-hmm. he is now one of the most positive people I know. He is one of the most resilient people I know. Nothing has changed in his life apart from his mind, you know and he has deeper relationships, more connection, so I love it you know that that's an example of one person who's gone from stuck lost yeah. don't know where i'm going what is my purpose what you know how do I be a good parent all of that stuff to one of the most positive people I know in the world right?
1: Wow. in
0: such a short period of time. So that lights me up. And I've never met the guy who lives in Australia, right? And I live in the mm. UK. Yeah. Grateful for Zoom, right? Grateful for vo- voice notes. Grateful for all of these things we can do now. So that, that's an example of a one-to-one. I could kind of list a load of different... Because each one is a person, right? This is a person's life. Yeah. They have kids. They have partners. They have team. It's just... I just love it. Uh, In terms of community, what I love and the thing that's wowed me the most and blown my own mind even is how quickly and powerfully you can develop a psychologically safe place where people can openly share. They can do it without fear of judgment and how quickly people can really kind of challenge themselves to just get into that and how quickly they feel the level of support and community and how much that has a factor in change, you know, Mm -hmm. the the community is so important because it's, it's kind of what makes us happy. It's relationships. It's support. It's like, I'm not on my own. Yeah. Oh, other people are thinking like this as well. Other people on the journey, you know, people care about me. Oh my God, I've never met these people, but they're the best friends in the world. You know, so in community, I could give you an example now. There's a lady going, we have these things that I call 30 day challenges mm-hmm. and they could be different topics. Um, and one of them at the moment, uh, there's a, a new member going through this challenge and uh, she's doing with another woman. There's two of them going through at the same time. People have gone through before amazing changes and the challenge is to learn to be kind to yourself. This is the 30 day challenge, right? So they mm-hmm. have to answer the question, What do you love about yourself every day? And they have to jump in, post something real, when they feel exactly like you were talking about. They don't love anything about themselves. They don't feel like they love themselves. They don't Mm -hmm. believe that, you know, it feels awkward and weird and all of that stuff. But we're on about day seven now, and I can see the green shoots. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes! Because they've started going from, what they do is, they start with, well... I can't say what I love about myself. So they start talking about what they're grateful for. Mm. Right? And I'm like, okay, that's a great start. But I keep directing and going, but what do you love? Can you love that you're grateful? And all of a sudden, mm. they start seeing that they are good people. They start seeing that they're trying hard. They start seeing that people are cheering them on and supporting them, which is a power of community. And the thing that's blown me away about that is we can create powerful, life-changing results inside community without having to have one-to-one coaching all the time mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, you know? So, cause obviously that community is accessible to anyone. The price point of that is like easy. Everybody can do that more or less, you know?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you were, you know, you've been touching on, you know, the, the success story of yours because you know, for me, it wasn't until I was what, 48 or so, you know, this is like, I guess, April of 2021, you know, where I finally said, you know, a coach, I think is something that I could use. I mean, I, you know, I went my whole career without really having had any coaching and uh, wasn't even really aware of, of, you know, what was out there in terms of coaching. And, uh, you know, the story that you just shared, you know, my personal experience, you know, I just, I want to thank all the coaches out there because, what you guys do is so powerful and makes such an impact on people's lives. And, you know, I really recommend anybody who is on the fence or thinking about, you know, finding a coach, like, do it. It was the best thing I've ever done. It really, you know, not just impacted me, but it's it had such a positive impact, you know, through me to my wife and my children and my friends and my coworkers. And, you know, and, and it just, what you guys do is, is just so beautiful. And, you know, I, I'm just grateful for people like you that, you know, are so dedicated to, you know, helping people and improving people's lives. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Adam. And I'm delighted that you've felt that. And I'll just say, it's a win-win, right? This is a win-win deal. It's like, mm-hmm. for me, as a coach, I do this because it lights me up because I love it. I love seeing the change. I love seeing the impact. So for me, win, other person, the life changes. Win. It's a win-win deal, right? It's like Absolutely. happy days.
1: <laughs> well, that. So my next question was going to be, about, you know, the mo- about what the most rewarding aspect of being a coach is. But I, I mean, I I think you just answered it. Uh, <laughs> it's a win-win, right?
0: Yeah, it, it lights me up. Is is a you know? <clears throat> let's not. Let's be clear. People do what they want to do, right? People do what they feel like doing. It's not, nobody cares what anybody else wants you to do. People only do what they want to do, right? So an amazing coach has this process and skill of getting somebody else to want to do what they want them to do. It's no point me saying, right, I want you to do this. And they're like, okay, I'll try. But it's not internally driven, right? Yeah. It's only by the realization, the penny drop moments coming inside that person's mind, which is the coach's skill to open those things and ask those questions pick up on that word follow that emotion whatever it might be it's only then when that person has that penny drop moment then they want to do what i'm suggesting that's the skill you know and i think it's it's um it's just the 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 magic of people realizing that they are powerful that they have Choice that they can be happy. You know, I just love that. I love it so much. I love being a part of it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, for anybody listening who, you know, maybe has had a belief system that they're not fixable or that they're too broken, I mean, you know, I think here are two clear cases where, you know, that it's just a belief system. It's not true. I mean, for me, I just, I was so locked into just thinking that you know, about the problems in my life and that they, I wasn't going to be able to overcome them. And, you know, to the the client that you were just talking about, I mean, it seems like he was kind of in the same way. And, and here's two cases where that, that idea and that belief system was completely turned around. And so, yeah, just, it's so powerful what you guys do. So anybody who's on the fence or thinking about, you know, going forward with a coach, um, highly, highly recommend it. You know, so I want to, maybe shift a little bit, you know, we've been talking about, you know, all these beautiful things about being a coach, but, but it is hard. I mean, it is hard work. There's a lot, you know, that you have to go through to get, you know, your clients, you know, buying into that self-awareness, like recognizing that, you know, a lot of what they're thinking are belief systems um, and, and not, you know, true identity aspects. So what, what is the hardest thing about coaching?
0: What's the hardest thing about coaching? Uh, the hardest thing about coaching, which is something I love, is the challenge of being that example. Right? You know, a powerful coach is somebody who lives and breathes what they coach. They don't mm-hmm. run up as a coach and then go out of the coaching session into their car crash of a life, you know. They, they are somebody who is very serious about building the practices, the habits. When you have somebody like that, which I am one of those people who is striving for the best version of my own self. Mm -hmm. When you have somebody like that, now they are able to meet you and understand where you are on your journey because they've been through the thing themselves, right? That's really powerful because they can give you encouragement, support. It's okay. Don't worry. It's normal. This is, you know, and they can normalize change for you. So I think the hardest part, but it's something I love, is, is the discipline it requires to be that change, you know, be that change, yeah. be that person.
1: So, you know, for me as an empath, um, I know how draining it can be when you absorb the feelings and the challenges that, that others deal with. Um, how, how do you as a coach yourself, well, let me, let me rephrase this. How do you coach yourself <laughs> So that you keep a positive and high performance growth mindset when you're, you know, working with clients and, and, you know, kind of sharing, you know, some of the pain that they're going through. How do you, How do you keep your positive mindset?
0: Yeah, it's a really important question. And when I was a therapist, a lot of therapists became my client, right? Mm. And it's because, ultimately it's because they either haven't had the training that is robust enough to make sure they realize how important it is for them to practice what they are preaching to others, right? Or they just kind of are not doing that. They know, but they're not doing it, right? Because they're reactive or busy or whatever. So how do you do it? You practice what you preach. Mm -hmm. I know you use the word preach, but you practice... You know, uh, so I've developed my own system. So I am a certified high performance coach. So I coach the high performance curriculum, which come out of the High Performance Institute, which is very scientific. Um, but I, through my life, I've learned my own energy and relationship infrastructure, which I call the seven pillars of a high performance life. And basically is practices and all these things. So I practice breath work. So that keeps me focused. It keeps me relaxed. It keeps me releasing tension and not picking up tension. Mm -hmm. I sleep well. You know, the seven pillars are basically my bridge, my energy infrastructure that keeps me strong psychologically and physically and emotionally. Uh, And as long as I'm investing in those, then, you know, I know that somebody else's pain isn't mine. It's not there for me to pick up and take into my house, right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Not mine, but that's, I think that's part of the problem where coaches or therapists burn out, let's say, because what they're doing is kind of like allowing this transference of somebody else's energy to become their energy. And I'm like, no, this is my energy. I'm positively charged and I keep it positively charged because I sleep well. I do breath work. I eat well. I drink lots of water. I exercise. I have cold showers. I talk to myself well and develop that skill. You know, I'm connecting with people who are like-minded, positive, uplifting in a community. So if you are practicing all those things, that the result is high energy, resilience. You you don't get dragged into all of that stuff. Does it make sense? It's kind of like a a separation, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So kind of, you know, revisiting this topic of mental health that we spoke about, you know, earlier on in in the podcast, you know, here in the year 2022, like, how do you think mental health is is perceived nowadays? You know, compared to the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a it's a huge amount better than it used to be, right? Huge amount. I mean, you know, for it was always seen as, you know, weakness or mm-hmm. or somebody was broken or or whatever it was, right? And none of that's ever been true. <laughs> but because that was what was thought, that then didn't allow people to comfortably reach out speak openly and all of that stuff so therefore didn't allow them to get the support they needed and all of those things right clearly we're in a completely different way of living now and it's much more um acceptable it's not even the right word it's much more normal for people to recognize that people have challenges right and those challenges affect them sometimes they need some support they need some help we all do it's like it's normal right so i think that the mental health Uh, story you know has opened up obviously it's a lot more normal now Um, but I think there are still ways to go and there will always be ways to go I think there's always ground to make up because otherwise we wouldn't be having these meetings that I talked about earlier and I'm coaching senior leaders and they're kind of scared to speak in a meeting because they get cut down we wouldn't be having any of that if, if it was all fixed or sorted, right? Yeah. So I think we've come a huge amount, but there's still there's always going to be more to go.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I'm sincerely grateful for in this day and age are people like Simone Biles and and other athletes and and people you know really well known in the public sphere that uh, you know that that are bringing the mental health conversation into you know the the normal you know, day to day, like destigmatizing it, you know, Simone Biles saying she's not, you know, mentally ready to, to, you know, perform in a competition. You know, she's, she's really being a leader there. She's showing yeah. her strength and, and, you know, saying, look, you know, this is real. I'm, you know, for me to compete is not, does not just require physical stamina, but it requires the mental strength for me to be able to compete. And then, you know, since you're in the UK, the other thing that I'm also, you know, I was really proud to witness. um, I love Ted Lasso, that show (laughs) and uh, the second season. um, And I, I just haven't really seen this in popular culture where you know, the mental health conversation is, is really a core part of the premise of a television show. Right. And so I was really, you know, appreciative and grateful for what, you know, the writers of Ted Lasso did, you know, in kind of developing the second season. So where, you know, where do you see the conversation around mental health going in the next few years?
0: Uh, you know, it's, I hope it's going to continue in the same path. I hope more resources will be available i hope companies will invest more in their people in terms of the finances to resource them mentally you know because um, we have to recognize that we are mental physical emotional spiritual beings right we have a uh, mon- makeup there's a number of different parts to who we are and the mental aspect you were just talking about in competition it's not surprising Because competition basically is judgment, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to judge you about whether you are as good as that person or not. That's basically what competition is. So when somebody at a professional level goes into competition, it's not surprising that they feel judged. (laughs) That that might be a a little bit of kind of a fear involved or, you know, comparison comes in and all of those things. Of course that's going to happen because we're putting them into places where they are judged. So, why would it not be, why would mental health not be a performance-related topic? Of course, it's a performance-related topic, right? So I love the fact that, like you're saying, you know, more and more athletes are speaking out. But the, the the shame is that so many successful athletes over the years have succeeded despite the pain they had to go through. Right. Whereas now, hopefully, it's becoming more and more normal that, you know, they have a high performance coach or they have a psychologist or they have these other people who are there as part of the team, an important part of the team to enable that performance, right?
1: Yeah, very true. Um, A couple of uh, questions as we go to close here. Um, This is going to be, you know, related to, you know, business and leadership. So how, you know, in terms of, of the corporate world, you know, how do you see the future of work and leadership in particular, you know, when it comes to, you know, our our professional lives and you know, the the normalization of the mental health conversation.
0: Leadership is both required and a practice in the space. So, you know, role modeling the way forward for others to follow is a leader's job, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And great leaders understand that they must work hard to practice leadership, you know? They must be doing things like, you know, part of the leadership coaching I do in the high performance coaching curriculum, there are practices that great leaders do. Great leaders envision a future that is better than now. You know, and it's a practice. They sit there and they envision it and they think they don't just have a vision, they envision as a practice, right? They do it routinely. They bring other people into the vision. They encourage other people hugely. They are encouragers, right? There are people who Mm -hmm. are like, you know you got this. You got you I've got your back. You know they they are encouraging people when things are hard, rather than beating them when things are hard. You know? They are yeah. the encouragers that lift people up. That's what great leadership is about. They're embodying things. The the values that they have in the company, the leaders are the example of that thing in real life. Mm. They're like human versions of the values if they're great leaders, yeah. right? They are living and breathing the thing. So they're embodying this thing, they're empowering other people. They're like, I am literally empowering, means I'm giving you power, right? I'm saying, here you go, there's the trust, here's the decision making authority to be have power and to make decisions and do things. So that makes, you know, they're, so there, there are great practices that leaders are engaged in to be great leaders. You know, it's not just I turn to work and I kind of, react to stuff you know they they are thinking (laughs) about how they drive the ship you know and i I hope the great leaders more of them stand up and give more resources to the people to enable them to perform at a high level you know yeah give them the coaching give them the resources give them the tools give them the breath work give them the what they need to do this thing well you know that's what i yeah you
1: know so i started in in my consulting um business. I, I've brought in mindfulness training and coaching and, uh, Thursday mornings, we have meditation. Um, and so, you know, these are, these are some things I'm doing. It's a, it's a work in progress. And I, I've said this many times, you know, I, I feel there's so much more that, that uh, I want to do, um, to, you know, provide for the team and, you know, thinking that, you know, as leaders our role is really just to, you know, get the most productivity out of people. It's, it's just, that's, that's like old school way of thinking, right? Our, our role is, as leaders is to really create an environment that allows people to reach their highest potential, in my opinion, and, and you know, their own personal and professional growth. And, and again, my, my job as a leader is really just to facilitate that and, and make it a priority in our company.
0: I think it's so refreshing to hear you speak about that. And this is a, this is a part of the way I work with companies because people think, oh, it's going to be this huge, expensive kind of thing, right? It doesn't need to be like that. There are, I work with companies now who have one 90-minute coaching session a month. Anyone from the company can sign up, right? They come to the coaching session, yeah. and there's a curriculum-based high-performance coaching going on but they also have daily access to the breath work. Mm-hmm. They also have daily audios. They're, there's a huge amount that they get across a whole company that is kind of nowhere near what you would pay for a, ho- a, a one-to-one coaching session, for instance. You know, So yeah. it's really great to hear you talking like this because this is what people do when it's important. They work out a way to make it work. They go, okay, this is what I do all the time. I'm like, okay, how do I make this work for more people, right? In a way yeah. that also works for me. You know, and that that's the problem solving thing that I love. Um, yeah. So I, I, I support, I, I kind of applaud you. <laughs> well yeah. done.
1: Well, you know, and one thing I'll just add to that is, yeah, I mean, some of these things, you know, I, I have to pay for, I mean, it's like, and some of them aren't cheap. Right. But I compare that to the cost of, you know, losing talent and having people that are not engaged. I mean, that's, that's more expensive in my opinion. Um, when you have a high amount of turnover, I mean, there's so much cost to that. So it's, it's a no brainer in my opinion. And, you know, I'm just, I'm happy to provide these tools to the team. Just, you know, not just from a perspective of, you know, trying to keep my talent, but I mean, it's, it's like, honestly, I know how much these tools have helped me personally, and I want to just share that. I want—I want to find any way I can to share those tools with other people, so that you know they can find the healing that I found in them.
0: I, I love it, and uh, and I—I th- I just kind of—I'm impressed, and I I'm support you, and I think well done.
1: <laughs> so, one last question here as we wrap up: you know, yeah. where do you where do you see the role of empathy over the next ten years?
0: <laughs> ten years. I'm not sure about 10 years, but uh, empathy basically is, is such a critical skill to develop, uh, you know, because otherwise empathy is linked to caring, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the demonstration that I care about you. Uh, and it's the demonstration of me being able to understand how you feel. That's empathy, right? So I can get mm-hmm. into your shoes and I can think, oh, What does it feel like from their perspective, right? When we develop empathy as a skill, as a leader or anyone, we become more powerful, right? We, 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 we unlock people's performance. We unlock people's potential. We make people feel valued, cared for, connected, linked together, build teams. Empathy is kind of like so important, right? Uh, and it's a skill that anybody can learn. And, it's the right thing to do as well.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, Lee, I, I want to thank you for joining us here today on The Change and, and sharing your stories and insight and perspective with us. Um, you know, it's been a, a true pleasure to speak with you today, and I'm really looking forward to, you know, speaking again and uh, perhaps getting engaged, you know, as, um, as a client of yours in your coaching. I think what you're doing is amazing, and I really like um, the way you've put your, your coaching program together. So thank you.
0: No, thank you, Adam. And I just want to say, I've loved this, right? I go on lots of different podcasts and I know when it's an amazing one because I just love the experience, right? And I've loved it. So thank you. You, you know, you ask great questions, which hopefully lead to insights and, and other people will hopefully benefit from listening to us talk. So I appreciate you, mate. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for that. Lee Evans is a high performance coach based in the UK, a husband, father and friend He's one of approximately 1,000 active certified high performance coaches trained personally by Brennan Burchard at the High Performance Institute, has 10 years of clinical hypnotherapy experience in practice, and 24 years of high performance leadership experience leading commando forces in the British Army. Lee also founded the High Performance Growth Community, which is a community of people from around the world striving to be their best together. Lee sees this as his legacy and would love you to join if you're seeking connection, growth, and purpose. Lee has known life lost quickly both as a young boy losing his mother to suicide at 15 years old and in the military and fighting operations around the world and he has learned a huge amount along the way. Lee's purpose at this stage of his life is to be loving, present, and positively charged, to role model courage, kindness, and personal discipline so that he leads himself and others with clarity, confidence, connection, and positive charge. To find out more about Lee, visit our website at eiqmedialc.com slash the change. Our theme song and sound engineering was provided by Shane Sufridi. You can listen to more of Shane's music at www.shanesufridi.com. If you have a story to share about making a difference in the lives of people you lead, or if you want to tell us what you think about our podcast, send me an email at thechange at eIQmediaLLC.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time on The Change. The Change is produced and distributed by EIQ Media LLC elevate your emotional IQ with podcasts and content focused on leadership, mental health, entrepreneurship, and more.